0: Okay, so it should be on maximum talky and halfway hearing. Alright. Max,
1: maximum talk, talky and halfway hearing. That's yes. what I said?
0: That is, in fact, what I said. We're using very technical range tonight. Yes.
1: Yeah, you're going to have to dumb it down for me, Point Ha <laughs>
2: got screwed over today because of that. And So I think that we're, we got a little Commander Cast connection here. It's
1: tenuous.
3: Tenuous
0: Hello. at best. Hello everyone and welcome to Commander Cast episode 234. We're your weekly source for community, strategy, and technology, hosted on mttcast.com and our home site, Commandacast.com. We're recording this on January 28th, 2016. I am your host of the show, William, and with me as always is my premier co-host, Calvin. How are you doing today, sir?
4: Hi, everybody. It's Calvin. I'm also known as Captain Red Center by the Internet, and I'm doing pretty well tonight. Uh, Just got out the office, still in the streets of Newark. And, you know, traffic as per usual. So if you hear anything randomly or I randomly disappear, you kind of have an idea of what happened to me. I got mugged.
0: Ah. Oh, well, hopefully you didn't have anything too valuable on
4: you. Uh, The only, only thing I have valuable on me right now is the family jewels, and I'm pretty sure no one's going to take those. Pretty sure.
0: <laughs> All right. Clay was here today, but he is currently MIA. So we're going to go straight to our guest this week. Mark is actually taking the night off for unexplored reasons, but that's neither here nor there. So instead, I have the honor of presenting our guest today. Sheldon, thank you for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me, fellas. You know, I love coming on and chatting about the best format in magic history.
0: Oh, I didn't know we were talking about standard tonight.
1: You shut up. <laughs> Ooh, uh, uh, get this man off my show. Hello, everybody, and
4: welcome to Cast episode 234. Take that back I back your right host. Now.
0: It's funny, because I actually think Standard's one the... Well, well, arguably Standard does a lot of good things for the game. I'm surprised I didn't even go with Limited, though. I usually play a lot of Limited. But anyway, so Sheldon, if people don't know you, who are you?
1: Nobody, really. Just a boy in love with a girl. Aww. <laughs> um, uh. I am a Magic Judge Hall of Famer who uh, also brought the Commander format, uh, what we used to call EDH, to the masses. Um, I... I am one of the five members of the Commander Rules Committee, and I write a weekly column on StarCityGames.com. Uh, we don't we don't title our columns anymore. It used to be called Embracing the Chaos, but we, it's, just it's just a weekly show. column. It's yeah, just it's, a weekly column by me now.
2: That's really so, funny. Hey, look, it's Sheldon.
1: Right. All
0: right, so Sheldon, EDH is a very casual format. It's something that you play with your friends at the kitchen table. Why does there need to be a Rules Committee for people Because who-
1: well I mean because if there's if there's not some kind of structure uh things break down into chaos if you if you don't have somebody shepherding the format forward it ceases to become a format um so you have to have you have to have a vision and part of the part of that vision is that here's a format that we came up with um you know the basic rules the basic rules somebody else invented but uh I took them and ran with them and then brought them to the judge community, and uh, a couple of very dedicated people, Gavin Duggan um, and I got together. and was like, oh, maybe we should formalize this. And the whole message the whole time has been, here is this thing that we're doing. Uh, here's how we're doing it. Uh, we think you might like it. And if you're going to, you know, here's how uh, we're going to move it into the future.
0: So they're really more like guidelines.
1: No, they're rules. <laughs>
4: No, no, no. There's no, no, no beating around the bush, William. It's rules. <laughs> it's, no, they're rules. Uh, 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 William, what would a format be if it didn't have some type of rules to guide it?
0: Oh, it would be awesome. We could just play, like, anything we wanted.
4: But in that case, it wouldn't really be a format, then, would it? It would we, it? It'd just right. be just randomly playing whatever you wanted and doing what, however you chose to do whatever. So it, would it be, wouldn't really be
1: anything. It wouldn't be a format. It would be Calvin Ball.
0: <laughs> I think we got... I, think we just I got that, that right? reference. Okay then, that just went something. That just went over
1: Yeah, you're probably not. You're okay. too young. You're too yeah. young.
0: <laughs> okay. Ah, wow. Okay then. What was it? So joining us today is also Clay, the Commander Panda. How are you doing today, sir?
3: I am doing well.
0: All right. So we were just introducing Sheldon to the crowd because some of these people may or may not have heard any of our previous episodes of Sheldon or know what Sheldon with the Rules Committee is. So Sheldon, when you say that you're a Judge Hall of Famer, could you go into what the credentials for a Hall of Fame Judge are?
1: Uh, well, the credentials are that a bunch of other judges voted me in. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure, I'm not sure there are criteria beyond that. Um, I was a level 5 judge from 19, from, let's see, when did I make level 5? 2004 or something. Until I retired from judging in 2011. Um, I had judged more pro tours than anyone in history. Until, I think Toby either just recently tied me or passed me, uh, but he's now been a level 5 judge for uh, two or three years longer than I was. Um, so uh, I made level 3 way, way back in the day. How old did you say you are? 24? I think I made level 3 before you were born.
3: Um, well, um, well, hold on. Wait, I, is I, that even uh,
0: possible? Yeah, I was about to say, I'm pretty <laughs> sure I'm older than that magic.
3: Yeah, okay.
1: Yeah. Close enough. We're, we're, we're talking you, about... You might be lying there. Okay, we're in the margins someplace. Let, let's uh. go like
4: this. Uh, William might be older than Magic, but Sheldon was still a level three judge before then. So it doesn't make a difference <laughs> how you look at it. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, he came into the game that wasn't even created at level <laughs> three.
1: Well, I, funny enough, um, back in the day, you, you did test into a level when you uh, joined the program. Uh, your score on the, your, I, I know, and we're talking 1996 was when I certified. And yeah, you jumped right in. So people that knew the rules extremely well were just level three from the beginning. Now, uh, that meant, of course, that there was, you know, a varying amount of success and failure on those judges uh, to to translate their rules knowledge into um, sort of uh, the tournament organization side of the uh, judge program. But, um, we were, you know, back then we were, we were making it up as we went along. Um, we were, you know, there, there was this new thing, you know, professional magic and, um, competitive magic were, were brand new things. So we really had to figure out on the fly how to make them work, how to keep people, um, honest, how to catch cheaters, how to, um, how to make tournaments fair for everybody. And, uh, you know, if there was if there's one thing in my judge career that I would that I'm really proud to hang my hat on was redefining fair play at the professional level. And, uh, you know, it was the Wild West when I went to my first pro tour as a judge in 1997. And by the time I made level four in 2004, uh, I had started affecting a major change in the way that players behave at high level tournaments. And, uh, I, you know, I'm really happy that the magic, the professional magic today is very, very clean, uh, and I think, I, I hope in no small part to my contributions.
0: Now, earlier you mentioned Toby. He's on the Rules Committee, right?
1: Toby Elliott, uh, current Level 5 judge, is also on the Rules Committee with me. Yeah, He joined, I think he joined the RC in, I don't know, 2008 or so, 2007, 2008.
0: All right, so who else is on the Rules Committee with you, and what does it take for someone to be... Cons- uh, kind of, I don't want to say in doctrine, but how did you kind of assemble your crew, the crew together? Like, how did you guys? Come William
4: together? wants to basically know how can he become a rules committee judge? Or That's pretty how, much what this how is. We
2: can uh, develop our own rules committee to overthrow the current one? Wait, I didn't say that. Ah,
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, you probably. I mean, it, I I think I think that that revolution is the only way that real change happens. So yeah, I think if you you think that the direction that we're headed is bad, then you should form your own committee and you should overthrow us. Uh uh-huh. good luck with it. Uh I I mean and I'll just, you know, I'll remind you of our longstanding policy that the rules committee does not negotiate with terrorists.
2: <laughs> I retract my earlier statement that I I definitely did not say.
0: So <laughs> so yes, you're saying about Okay, so, uh, yeah, um, in
1: 2004 sometime was the first time I brought the format to the Pro Tour, and it really caught fire with the judges relatively quickly. Um, and by 2005, it had really spread like wildfire, and more than just judges were playing it. Sometime in early 2006, uh, level three judge at the time, now Canadian regional coordinator, uh, Gavin Duggan, well, he, actually, he's not Canadian anymore. He lives in California, and I don't think he's a Canadian R.C., Anyway, um, former former net rep and um, regional coordinator, Gavin Duggan, just kind of said, hey, why don't we formalize this thing? So we did. Uh, we formed a committee. Uh, Level three judge uh, Duncan McGregor, also another Canadian, uh, was the initial member. It was just the three of us. Uh, when Duncan moved on due to lifetime commitments, um, he we replaced him with Alex Kenny, a guy that um, that Gavin knew that I didn't. But I trust Gavin. He's like, yeah, Alex Alex is a you know a pretty sharp magic mind and uh you know good with the kind of things that we want to do with format. So I said, sure, and it's been it's been one of the sort of best decisions of saying yes to a person I had never met um that I've ever made because uh Alex has shown time and time again that he is a great voice to have on the rules committee. So then there's Toby, and then the fifth member is uh magic director of uh Actually, let me, let me get my, I'm gonna to go to my email and get his title right, cause I always get it wrong. The fifth member of the rules committee is Scott Laramie, who is the esports and premier play programs design manager at Wizards of the Coast. Hmm. And long time, long time dear friend of mine, um, he is the, he is the guy that is sort of the tournament manager at the Pro Tour.
0: Alright then. So, now that we've established Sheldon's credentials, so that, you know, people can understand just kind of what a big deal Sheldon is. <laughs> now we can proceed into the more regular part of our show, where we introduce everyone's favorite commanders of the league. Sheldon, as the guests, you guys do our first off, who's your favorite commander this week?
1: Well, this week, all I'm playing is Izuri Claw Progress, because that's who I'm playing in our Commander 2015 League, which I know that we're going to talk about later on. My current favorite commander is uh, Yasova, because... Um, She's cool and, uh, she borrows stuff from people.
0: She does. I had a Yoselby deck a while ago, but I just kept running into situations where the stuff that she wanted to borrow wasn't the stuff I necessarily wanted to borrow. Like, you know, have you ever run into that problem? Nope. You just always to grab whatever you can?
1: Yeah, uh, uh, well, look, look at that. Uh, there's something. I, hey, can I borrow that? And then, you know, unfortunately, you become the bad neighbor because you never give their lawnmower back. <laughs> You sacrifice, you know, you sacri- you, fu- you sacrifice their wee whack for the greater good and
0: I mean sometimes Jaleira just needs a helping hand. Alright. So Calvin, do you have a favorite commander this week?
4: Uh yes. My favorite commander for this week will be Gisela, uh, the flying angel that people refer to as that bitch from this from every once in a while. I'm pretty sure. Uh, reasoning just- for it. uh yeah, yeah. You but know, reasoning I'm going with her is because I'm currently preparing my next Boros theme deck for next month. The theme deck currently is Boros Skies.
0: So is it just going to be red-white cards that have skies in them?
4: No, it's flyers, like red-white skies. You know, like like blue-white skies, it's just red-white skies. I'm basically building a Boros flying deck to have, you know, more evasion to it. And then after that? my the, uh, it's actually kind of like being worked on simultaneously with a third deck that I'm dealing with who doesn't have a commander just yet because it's on um, Boros walls and I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do with that in order to try to make it uh somewhat playable.
0: Ooh, you got to have something like Flame Right in there, right? Flame Right, the uh, uh the red right white one from Conspiracy that taps to make a defender
4: I haven't gotten that far yet. It's still in the works. There's a, that deck currently has about 238 cards in it, and some of them are going to have to be completely altered and cut out, and if then I have to go through to make sure I know what's going on with it
1: first. But if, not one keep cards, if one of those cards is not Cavern of Souls, so that you can name Wall when you cast it, then you're doing it wrong.
0: Or he's just dirt four.
1: Cavern l- of Souls will have to go into the Wall deck. Yeah, so. of
0: course. All right. So, Clay, who's your favorite commander this week? Um, I'm not
2: really sure. Um, let's see. What to do? Um, I'm going to go with Rexial again, just because I haven't gotten too many games in over this past week. However, um, when I was playing last night, I happened to be playing Rexiel and actually did things in a game where I did not just die to Tainted Strike. So I think that makes it my favorite commander.
0: I'm sorry. Could you say that again? It sounded like you said you didn't die to Tainted Strike.
2: Um, well, I was trying to my all-in Zada list. In multiplayer, which it does not, which is fine, because it's an all-in, one-on-one deck, um, and we had a game where someone was playing Zergo, and um, some, the guy who was playing Zergo convinced Hayes to uh, brute force his Zergo to put him up to 10 power, and then he tainted striked, and then uh, killed me, and then tried to, uh, whatever the, like, exile two red cards from your hand extra combat card was, to take someone else out. And then the next game that I played, someone uh, buffed up an experiment crodge, and someone else tainted strike it so that he could kill me and the other guy. And there was another one where that same Obnixilus player who tainted strike the crodge tainted Striked his Obnixilus and killed me. <laughs> oh, <I laughs> and think- then there was one g- game where he tried to tainted strike me, but it failed for some reason, then Hayes proceeded to combo off with Grenzo on his turn. So we all died anyway. It was great. Of the five games I played last night, I won one of them, lost three of them to Tainted Strike, and another to an infinite goblin combo. It was an interesting night, to say the least. At least I finished Modern Merfolk.
0: Okay. So, <laughs> uh, pro- process of elimination. Clearly the one Exhale. that... Yeah. Okay. The I one get- that did
2: not just die to infect.
0: Okay, I can get behind this. So, of course, my favorite card of the week is, once again, Absent Guardian Angel. Because I was finally able to record the rest of the videos for the new project that I'm working on, the Alpha Build. Which is going to be one of our YouTube video series that I'm working on. And I actually had a lot of fun toward the end. Unfortunately, the um, Murphy's Law still goes into effect. And you still shouldn't keep hands that only have one or two lands. Because even with 44 other lands in the deck, there is still a chance that you just don't draw any. So, had some lackluster games. I'm still putting those ones up because they still show some interesting things from the other decks. And what I'm finding with Moto is I'm actually getting a chance to see some really nice decks. I actually did see El Hammer at Travel Sphinx, which I was not expecting to see on Moto. The last game was particularly nice because I actually got to do some things. Got to see a lot of the cards do either do stuff or not do stuff with, you know, just the alpha build. You know, cards that are just from alpha. It was very interesting. It also reaffirmed that I do want Avacyn to be my mono-white right commander. I was on the fence between her and the new Linvala, but what I realized about playing with Avacyn and having to rely more on the commander, because Alpha has some great staples in it, but not all of them can be as good as Source Power or so- Soaring. Sometimes you just have to play with the Hive. Yeah. But Avacyn actually just is a 5-4 Vigilant Flyer, 4-5 that happens to have an ability that is relevant for keeping up blockers, and making your opponents not want to attack you because they don't want to make trades. So, I went through the legendary creature list last night, just to be sure, and yeah, is the only one with, you know, that flight, that defensive ability, and the ability to kind of cover for everyone else. Plus, with the smaller one, she is just cheaper to cast, so I can cast her more than just the one or two times that the big Avacyn can Alright, and a marker here, he'd be telling us his favorite commanders like Brian Stoudard or something like that. So now that we've gotten that out of the way, guys, if you like what we do here at CommanderCast, and you want to support the articles, the, the soon-to-be videos, the podcasts that we put out, go ahead and consider becoming a subscriber on Patreon. If you go ahead and subscribe at least $5 a month, you will be seeing the Alpha Build videos ahead of everyone else. If you're gi- giving us $10 or more a month, then first of all, Oh my god, I love you so much. Even those of you who are doing it right now, despite the fact that we haven't put anything out just yet. But if you're giving us at least $10 a month, I will be making extra bonus videos to just kind of give you a little exclusive something that everyone else isn't getting to help make it more worth it, more worth your while. So thank you very much for supporting us. If you want to join us here on The Conversations, go ahead and leave us comments under the show. You can also leave us comments on Facebook, on Twitter, on our Reddit forums. And one such conversation is going to be our community segment today. I asked Sheldon what he would want to talk about, it, and you heard a little bit of it earlier with his, you know, favorite Commander segment. We're going to be talking about Commander leagues, and it sounds like he actually has a very interesting take on what his story is doing. So stay tuned, everyone. We'll be right back. The,
1: the League has certainly been an interesting, um, an interesting experiment, uh, Because because you're effectively playing we're effectively playing with a closed environment instead of an open environment. Hmm. Right? Where I mean we're taking the pre cons and we're upping we're updating them one card at a time after each game.
3: Oh, I see.
0: Alright, in our our community segment today, we are going to be talking about Commander League, specifically the league that Sheldon's got going on in his store. So Sheldon, if I understand this correctly, you guys all have a single Commander Precon deck, and you're modifying them one card at a time.
1: Correct. Um, It's actually more of an effort of my group of Monday Night Gamers, not the local store, although one of the players is Michael Fortino, one of the owners of Armada Games, and uh Shay Rutenberg is one of the employees. So yeah, I guess forty percent of us are um, Armada people, as it were. Um, so since there are conveniently five of us, uh we randomly assigned one of the Commander twenty fifteen precons uh and play and play normal games and then we get to update one card after every game we play. And there is a picking order based on what happened in the in the previous game so first pick goes to the first person out second pick goes to the person that killed them third pick goes to the person who finished the game with the most experience points uh who already hasn't had a pick fourth pick goes to last person standing and fifth pick goes to the person that doesn't already have a point so in case in case of um you know competing for cards then there's a there's some strategy to uh, to pick order uh, and we I'm gonna I'm actually writing about it for next week for Star City and uh, we have played 17 games so far and we've updated 18 cards we uh, we gave ourselves an Oath of the Gatewatch free roll when the set came out a few weeks ago. Uh, okay, which,
0: so I, what this make, what you're making it sound like is you guys are actually taking turns picking which card you can add to your deck. To, to the exclusion of everyone else.
1: Correct. It's it, yeah. It's 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 a tr- it's a true singleton league as much as we can make it. Um, because in the precons there are a couple of cards that are that are common to a few of the decks. I mean, there's a soul ring in each of the decks. Uh, Corpse augur is in both black decks. Um, Broodbirth viper was in both blue decks. Yeah,
0: like decks share myriad creatures and such.
1: Right, but. Um, once someone else has picked a card, or if the card is already in someone else's deck, you can't pick it. So uh, it doesn't matter with Izuri how much I would have, I would really like to have uh, El Monument. Uh, I can't since that's in the that's in the uh, the Golgari deck.
0: So why are you uh, using this stipulation for the? I want to say the improvement in refinement effects.
1: Because we want the process to to take place slowly as opposed to just um, just you know, well, I okay, I'm playing Azuri and here the pre con is sweet and all, but this is the deck I would make and I'm gonna use all the broken cards I possibly can. We're we're trying to stay with this league as close as possible to Richard Garfield's original vision of magic where changes came slowly and uh new cards came into uh more closed environment in response to other cards that came in, came in. Um, the the fact that you have to play you have to think and play radically differently in um, a closed environment than you do in an open environment. Uh, if you're playing a normal commander deck, you have answers, right? You have you have all kinds of answers uh, riddled through your deck. Well, in this closed league, the answers are a little more um, precious. The there aren't that many board wipes. There aren't that many uh, things that give you a lot of evasion ev- or whatever. So you have to really think about your card choices and your card and your plays in in the game in a different light than you would otherwise. Because you know, right now, I, I know the contents. I theoretically know the contents of every other deck that I'm playing with. Um, and I, you know, I know that neither white player is playing Mirror Strike. So I don't have to, you know, I don't have to consider that for my next attack phase. Uh, But I do happen to know that one of them has put comeuppance in his deck. So now I have to think about that. Uh, So it brings a, it brings a a new way of thinking about playing to the environment.
0: All right. Do you ever find yourself when you first started this project with with the guys? Did you find that there were just some cards that you couldn't wait to get rid of in the deck? Uh
1: I don't know about.
0: couldn't wait to get
1: rid of and there, there are there are cards that go into precons that have the right idea but are clearly meant for um, players to pick up the precons play with them for a little while and then think about replacing them uh, you know it, a pre-con is not going to be the kind of thing that that comes out as you know that comes from the from out of the box uh, as tightly um, assembled as a normal deck because the idea is, the idea is, you know, the precon is sort of a beginner's tool, and you give that beginner the opportunity to uh, see the process, and maybe the light will go on. On oh, I understand how the format works, and oh, I understand how to make my how to make a deck better. Um, there, you know, there were cards that that I was not sad to get rid of, uh, but that's more because they didn't fit the theme of the deck as well as I'd hoped. Not that they weren't necessarily good
0: cards. So, how's the overall gameplay been? You were talking about how you have to make decisions a lot more carefully. You have to take certain known information into account when you're mm-hmm. playing. But has it really has it recreated that experience that you wanted? It's it's been
1: well. I mean, I I didn't really have a um, a model going on in with how it was going to be. Um, the way it's unfolded is that the Boros deck is the early threat. Um, you know, a three-three double striking. Commander that is only going to get bigger, uh, you have to pay attention to because, you know, it can hit you for six, hit you for eight, hit you for 12, and you're dead. Um, so you have to pay attention to that. And the deck has, uh, the deck has, uh, Michael said uh, that Michael 14 is playing that one. It's got like nine or ten mana rocks in it. So there's almost no situation where he's not playing his commander on turn three. And again, a three three, a three three double striker. On turn three is pretty saucy, even in um, uh, you know a, a higher life format. So the the way it's played out is that the Boros deck has been constantly the early pace setter, as it were. Uh, the Is it deck has a certain kind of inevitability that uh, if you let the game go on long enough, it's pretty likely that it's just going to establish control, and uh, there's nothing you're going to be able to do. Uh, the other three decks I found have been way more mid rangey. Um, we're the three of us uh, are all sort of fighting for that middle ground space. Um, you know, the 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 Boros deck can can relatively easily kill somebody turn five or turn six and not even with that great of a draw. You know, if the if the if the um, the player wants to. You know, if if he doesn't want to spread the call correctly. He doesn't want to spend the, uh, you know, send the calumny attacks around and wants to focus on one person. Um, It's not that difficult to kill somebody. Um, So you really have to pay attention to that. Uh, The Azuri deck doesn't, in those those mid-turns, in that turn six, seven, it can get pretty saucy if it's left unmolested because it's creating a bunch of tokens and then all of a sudden, you know, it's throwing 10 or 12 plus one counters onto a single creature and bashing with it. Um, the, the the daxos deck does the same thing but it's gonna create an a, a sort of endless number of arbitrarily large uh, tokens and then the the Golgari deck i think is the one that plays best straight out of the box uh because it had it's just it's got all the tools that you want in a black green deck you know it's it's got the recursion things and it's got the sort of couple of beefy creatures things uh that you know that the, the those two colors together can do um uh, so we we've we really established sort of a pace of play although it's interesting i did um and uh if you read the article this week uh next week you'll see that um even though the the calemni deck sets the early pace of play it doesn't necessarily always get the first kill so often um let me pull that up. I can tell you exactly how many times of the 17 games that it's gotten the first kill.
0: Is there a lot of kill stealing going on? Mm,
1: kill stealing, not really. I mean, again, the 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 combat tricks are fewer and farther between. Um, so it's, it's sometimes it's kind of difficult. It's it's kind of difficult to rob somebody in the middle of combat. Okay, 17 games and the Boros deck has actually been the... has killed somebody first two out of those 17. Uh, The Izzet deck one, the Boros deck two, the Daxos deck three, the Golgari deck four, and uh, the Simic deck seven of the 17.
0: Now, you said that you established a pace of play with these decks. Have you ever noticed, like, one of these decks just outperforming any of the others? Like, is there any inherent imbalance
1: I don't think so. Uh, I I think that uh, the designers and developers did a really nice job of making balance. You know, though, balance doesn't mean they all do the same thing at the same time. It just means that uh, they each have sort of an equal chance to to perform. And one of the things about all of these Commander 2015 decks is they can do something silly. Um, uh, There was one game where the first time, and I had even written about how broken a card Blade of Souls was gonna be. Yep.
3: That's
1: and, an understatement. And um Michael Michael played Blade of Cells, and all he had was his general. And I'm like, okay. And I had a Viridian Shaman in my hand. So it came to my turn, and I played the Viridian Shaman, and my two choices were his Blade of Cells and uh Keith had who has the Gold Gari deck had a Skull Clamp. And he already had sacrifice outlets and small creatures and I was like, you know what? That skull clamp is more dangerous at the moment than blade of selves. And then Michael played sunrise sovereign, which gives all giants plus two plus two, he equipped blade of selves to it. And suddenly Calemny oh was attacking for 22 <laughs> or something. <laughs> oh
0: my God.
1: Uh, yeah, it got, it's like really out of hand, really fast. Um, I It's going to, that card is going to create memory. I'm going to tell you that. It's exactly the kind of card the format wants.
0: Ooh, don't I know, that was actually, I think actually I was talking earlier about the best game that I played with the alpha build Avacyn, when I was recording, and that actually was just the Blade of Cells. I mean, when you're shoving that thing onto like an acidic slime or brutalizer exact return, <laughs> that's already turning into arch enemy. But then to, attaching it to an acidic slime and then getting War storm surge out, it's like well, that's great. Now the slimes are just everywhere. It's like watching yeah. Nickelodeon back in the 90s.
2: Now, I guess I could ask a question, like, Blade of cells on an Acidic Slime, better or worse than Silver Primordial? Actually, what if we stuck uh, Blade of cells on Primordial?
3: There's uh, a reason that
1: we can't play that card. Anymore. There's a pretty good reason we can't play that card. Anymore. Yeah. And one, that, that I mean, the difference is that's two cards, not one. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I've entertained the idea of trying to talk the guys into into each deck gets to, uh, again, as a free roll maybe, to put one band card into their deck. (laughs) So, um, I mean, I don't know. What, what is it, what is it for me in the, in the Azuri deck? Is it Sylvan primordial? Is it primetime? Is it primetime? Is it pro? Yeah, it's, it's, it's obviously it's, it's obviously <laughs> profit. <cruises>. It's <laughs> profit. Cruises or profit um, cruises. Like like it, those w- those you two choices, boys. That's what you gotta go with. Is it? I mean, is it upheaval? Mm-hmm. Uh, People.
0: So I mean, like, but you already you're already just playing the blue green deck. So you it, you have more you have, just have more cards on the band list than any other right exactly. combination. Yeah,
4: you, you have the more cho- you have the most choices.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. I think the I think the black white deck kind of gets left out. Except for the battle for recurring nightmare with the with black green deck. I mean, black green deck obviously is the one that wants recurring nightmare, right?
0: Oh, but that's also so good in Daxos. Huh.
1: All right, Daxos to me seems more more about making cast, casting the enchantments and making the spirits than.
0: Well, you have to remember that you also have to replay recurring nightmare over and over, so that's also accruing experience counters on the. Daxos. Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah. depending on how you build Daxos, because you could build Daxos, and I've done this before, where you have like a enchantment reanimation thing, because sure. a lot of the re- the classic reanimator spells are awesome enchantments.
1: Sure, I mean, I, yeah, I'm I'm surprised that Shay hasn't put replenish into the deck yet.
0: Yeah. So go Has have there been any real negative experiences with this then?
1: No, I. That's the the, the one thing that it, it's been it's been a little different than we thought it would be, uh, for sure. Again, I. I suspected that the that the Boros deck was just killing people first more often than it does. Um, but it's been, yeah, I think the like I was saying earlier, the, the designers did a really good job of creating this kind of balance where the the different decks do different things along the sort of narrative arc of the game's story, and uh, any one of them can do really crazy things um, at an appropriate time. From the, again, from the early pressure that the Boros deck gives to the, the, to the real inevitability that the, that the Izzet deck has, Um, especially Todd. <laughs> Todd puts Sphinx, Sphinx Bone Wand in as a kill condition, and it, you know,
0: it's been hilarious. Hey, Sphinx's Bone Wand is incredibly legit. I play that card in my, life, my Deck. actually really fantastic. So, the next one I want to ask is, so go- you guys are going with a stipulation of you can only add in one card each week. Do you think that, you'd be having the same kind of results if you're allowed a little more freedom or flexibility. Like, we're only allowed to spend, like, $10 on a deck each week, or we're, we're increasing the cards added to, like, 5 or 10.
1: Well, it's it's one card each game, and there are weeks... That, you know, we'll play two or three games in a okay. week. Um, but, and, and, you know, I we had, we had thrown around some ideas when we were designing this I- idea. Uh, we had brainstormed some, uh, like, thresholds. So you know, you accumulated, you, you accumulated leak points and only at certain leak points were you allowed to, um, add cards to your, you know, so the, the first threshold was that you could only add common cards to your deck and then you could only, you know, then you sort of got an allowance to add uncommons or you got an allowance to, um, to move into artifacts or, or colorless spells or whatever. Um, and, there, you know, we, we kind of threw around a lot of kind of cool ideas. But the one thing you have to remember with complicated ideas is that you have to implement those ideas. And it started to sound like the more complicated the idea, the more it would rob us from just the kind of raw joy of playing the game. So you, you have to think about being simplistic as well as being different. Uh, so in the, in the end, it was just update one card at a time and, uh, and we'd always had the, the true singleton idea from the get-go. That was, that was an invariable from the, from the get-go. Uh, other than that, yeah, we just kind of wanted to keep it simple, uh, and see how the, how it played out. And it has been interesting in how, um, some of the, some of the people's picks have been, uh, based on responses to to the other decks and how the games have start have played out um shay recently put mark of asylum into his into the daxos deck which prevents all non-combat damage um to his creatures and uh you know michael's boros deck does damage with spells it you know it has chain reaction and or uh blasphemous act i don't even remember which one it has um and you know they're there are ways that it does damage to creatures, uh, so he, you know, he put that in. Keith, uh, in a, in a very clever, um, move in the Golgari deck, put Spellbane Centaur in after I had put Opposition in my deck. So, you know, it, they're not necessarily color hosers, but they're, um, you know, they're, they're keeping you protected from colors. One of the, one of the first cards that I put in, fourth, fourth pick, maybe fifth pick was Eldrazi Monument. Uh, not sorry, Eldrazi Monument, uh, Chroma's Memorial because it gives me protection from three of the other four decks.
0: Okay, do you think that
1: actually it gives me protection from all four decks? Black and yeah, because it, it gives me protection from all the other decks.
0: Okay, I was about to say. So, do you feel like
1: uh, I have a
4: question. Oh, before yes, yeah. another car drives past me. So, um, as you were discussing the concept that each week after you've accumulated a point or so, you get to put a new card into your deck,
1: correct? that was one of the, th- I the things we argued. Yeah, that's one of the things we discussed. Yeah. But, but right now, it's you get a card after each game. So the question I wanted to ask
4: is, is, is that accumulative? Like, say, for instance, I play this game. I am given the option to add a card, but I don't want to add a card just yet. Then I happen to win the next game or get another point in the next game. Would I be allowed to add two because I didn't add one in the last
1: game? Or
3: well, did yeah. I just
4: as soon as I lose, I, got, I didn't well, do anything, so... Sorry, everybody
1: you? everybody gets to add a card each game so yeah I mean if you want to wait to make your choice, you're welcome to make to wait and make your choice um but you have to make sure that you have to make sure that nobody else has grabbed it um in front of you and we've definitely had some picks some picks already have been um informed by uh being able to pick for, pick them first for that round as opposed to um to picking afterward, uh, yeah. there have been a couple of cards. There have been a couple of cards that people have have um, snatched out from a, um, in front of other people. Like, damn it, I was going to pick that one, uh, but you know, and that's and that's why the pick order mattered. Um, so because the, re- the reason I'm
4: bringing it up is because I think that that would be an interesting strategy to try to apply to the format, seeing as how you could look at a particular card and say, I want this card, but I don't want it unless I have X to go with it. So if this card is still available next round, I can just go ahead and pick it with X. Or if it's not available, well, I can still get two other cards now because I've accumulated the first one, and now I can add something else to that.
1: Yeah, I, I mean,
3: that, I, I that think seems
4: like something that I would think would well, be a good strategic um, advantage.
3: Well,
1: the, the good strategic the good strategic advantage is is looking down the road and deciding how the deck you want how you want the deck to look twenty five picks from now. And slowly working toward that. Uh, you, you know, you don't, you know, cards, I, I mean, I guess you can just pick good stuff cards every time, but, uh, at least my thought going in was, uh, even if this, this Azuri deck is not how I would build it, I, I, you know, I wanna, as we're playing this, I wanna keep the, I wanna maintain the idea of the original deck. I don't, I don't wanna just, um, you know, upset the apple cart and do something, and do something new with it. I wanna do what they, you know, sort of enhance the project that they started um, it feels you know, very
0: much, it feels very akin to trying to change the course of a very large iceberg anything that you want if you want it to change its course so drastically that it's going completely different than what it is now you don't have to invest a lot of picks to actually do that
1: right so you, you I mean you have to think about what your deck does now and what you want your deck to do later on uh, you know so I, I think a couple of the first picks were kind of obvious. Uh, the Daxos deck picked Wind Obedience. Uh, uh, I picked Cyclonic Rift because I, because I, I, I got killed first in the first game, so I actually had first, first pick. I, you know, I, I had my chance at Tim D. Tebow and I passed him up for, you know, a, a good player. And, but, you know, I had to, you know, you, you got, you have to think about not just what you're picking, but what you're giving up because after I picked Cyclonic Rift, knowing that Todd playing the his, his deck would love that card because, you know, the he has you know, he struggles a little bit in the early game. Um knowing that I picked Cyclonic Rift meant I was pretty sure that Greater Good was going to be gone by the time I got the next pick. And yeah, and it was. You know, and the and of course the you know the Greyguard reanimation deck loves Greater Good.
0: Yeah. So, so that leads me into my next question, which is have you ever had games where it's where someone is either close to death and they, but they, let's see how do I say this? they have a shot at winning, but instead they ch- try to manufacture weight to where they can get a higher pick because at that moment the game is either out of reach or what have you in their priority events, which is to well, I'll, if I'm not going to win this game, I'd rather just have the higher pick.
1: Not that I've seen so far, uh, although although strategically it it makes obvious strategic sense and gamers are going to be gamers, and they fi- you know they're going to figure things like this out it's in my best interest, if the first pick goes to the first person out, and the second pick goes to the person that kills them, it's in my best interest to kill one of the players, if, if I'm going to kill somebody first, to kill one of the players with whom I don't share a color.
0: Okay, so it's a little bit of a star element in there, too.
1: Yeah, because, I mean,
2: because uh, obviously... Because then they can't <laughs> pick something that you might... Pick.
1: Unless it's an artifact. Almost you know, if, a, I, yeah. if I really want a duplicate, uh, which Keith picked with his, let's see, seventh pick... Um,
4: if you really want a duplicate, then you have to try to do what you can to become the first person to be taken
1: out. So once du- <laughs> once you got out, you immediately
4: right. can be like, nope, done. I'm taking duplicate. That's what I wanted.
1: Right. But what is, I mean, you know, this is you have to think about you have to think about the value of cards that everybody can take. And you have to think about the value of cards that only you can take. Nobody is chatt- going to is going to cut me out of a card that's both blue and green. Right. Yeah. Because nobody, nobody else can play it. Uh, oh, and then we we actually we it, we decided we didn't like write it down, but we decided no hate drafting. So in my <laughs> blue green deck, I couldn't take Erebos, God of the Dead, just to keep it out of somebody else's hands. Gentlemen's agreement. We, we didn't we wouldn't win. It would be like that. Um, but at what point do I take a blue green card? Now, when we started this league, I already knew that we were going to ban Prophet Krufix. so I didn't. I, I, I gave some misdirection to the guys about why I wasn't picking it. Um. Like well, nobody else can pick it, so I can save it for an appropriate moment. Um, but yeah, where do you where do you put that kind of pick? Uh, if it's if it's something out, you know, sure I can pick Prophet Crucifix first, but then again, that I nobody else is going to take that from me. So do I pick the card like Cyclonic Rift that somebody else really, really is going to want instead? Uh, I mean, the good news is there are so many good cards in there's so many good cards in Magic that it's not like we have to pick a terrible card. Um, uh, if we don't get the card we want, I mean, for for example, Consecrated Sphinx, uh, was picked in the 18th round. Huh, interesting. It, it was one of it was it was one of the last picks. Well, it was the last picks so bar. Um, yeah, we, uh, we've had some we've had some interesting we've had some really interesting back and forth. I um. Uh, I picked opposition first. I, I, mean, I knew that Todd wasn't it because, you know, the, the is deck doesn't really make enough creatures to have opposition be worth anything. But then on the heels of opposition, since Seedborn Muse was already gone and I, you know, and profit I knew wasn't going to be available, then what's my next best option? Well, that's Merc Fiend Leech because it untaps all my creatures
0: on everybody's turn. Right. It's a balance of the power of the actual card itself. Versus where you're gonna pick it which is more or less kind of what a normal draft environment in medic looks like. Right.
1: Yeah. It's again, it's been very, it's been very and very enlightening about how players pick cards, um, how they respond to each other. Um, both of the white decks went for some some board wipes early on. Uh, Michael second picked Conjurer I mean, uh he first picked Conjurer's closet, closet which I thought was a little weird for the Boros deck. But I think he saw the value of um, some of those giants coming into play. Uh I think he did it just just for like um uh with a Thundercloud Shaman.
0: Okay. So uh, how- uh,
1: he picked, but he's but he second picked Marshall Ku, um, Austere Command, he picked sixth, uh he, Wrath of God was Shay's second pick. Route was his third, Massacre Worm was... Oh, uh, Massacre Worm. I fear Massacre Worm every game.
0: <laughs> 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 okay, so the next question I want to ask is, how does your group handle scooping? Is there a gentleman's agreement that no one actually scoops so that this works out cleanly? Or do you just get to those games where someone's just not having fun and they're ready to be done, so they go, okay, guys, I'm scooping, and such-and-such and such has the kill. Or how does that work?
1: Gentlemen gentlemen, do not douche scoop.
0: Um, well, not even so much douche scoop, so much as... You know, I'm just kind of dead, so I'll scoop down and save us time. No.
1: Well, it, there's a difference between um, the the remaining players in the game saying, okay, you got this. You know, if if somebody had, you know, like like last week, um, I, I basically had them dead to tapping everybody down with opposition and battling. And they both, you know, the, the two remaining players, are like, you got anything? No. You got anything? No. Okay, let's move to the next game. That's not a douche scoop. But oh, I'm not having fun in this game. I'm picking my shit up while there are still other players in the game, that doesn't happen. Okay. If you if you, ever, if you did that once in a game that we were playing, you would never be invited back.
3: Ooh.
1: It, and if you besides uh, not- in this particular format,
4: it's even if you're not going to win, there's other ways of potentially gaining points. So yep. you'd have no real reason to just go ahead and just say, well, I'm not gonna win this game. I'm obviously dead, my hand's not doing anything. Like okay fine, then just stick around until someone either kills you first or try to find one of the other conditions where you have like the most experienced counters. Just right, try exactly. to stack them up, and then boom, next thing you know, you're getting a third pick instead of just leaving fifth.
1: Right. The, and and I mean, if you if you were playing in a game with me and you do scoop to just prevent somebody from and getting an advantage, like it's like you know somebody with life link attacked you and you said, well, I I'm scooping. To deny you the life gain. First of all, we'd let the life gain happen. Uh, second, you'd never be invited back to play with us again. And third, I'd make a lot of fun of you on the next podcast that I went on.
0: Ooh. So, given that you're on a podcast, is there anyone you presently like to make fun of? Uh,
1: well, <laughs> I don't know, William. It sounds like that you're you're kind of fond of do-scooping.
0: It's something I've actually been working on. I had I went through a bad play group where. There was a lot of griefing. There was a lot of complaining. It was just getting to the point where I just didn't want to be involved in the game. I'd rather be somewhere else. And that carried over to when I went to the new game shop. It is something that I've gotten a lot better with the past couple of months. So there's that. Plus, it also just just makes for better videos when I record them.
4: See, William is not afraid to do scoop. I, on the other hand, have never scooped. I don't scoop to anyone. I've been stuck in infinite locks for hours just trying to see if my deck could potentially come up with a way to get me out. Never did, but I still played until, you know, someone kicked me out the store or was trying to go home that's, that seems
1: That seems a little hopelessly idealist. Um. Hey, hey, hey. Like, <laughs> it's ho- hopelessly or not. Like,
4: you know, you, like you have- I've always kind of enjoyed those type of scenarios because, you know, I enjoy having my back against the wall in EDH games because you never know. There always will be come that point where you may have that one card in your deck that actually can get you out of this situation, and the other is just kind of dicking around, and the next thing you know, you're winning. I'm not saying it happens every game, but it does occur occasionally, and so well, uh, I difference. do what I can to stay in. Them.
1: There's a difference between... There's a difference between a difficult situation and an impossible situation. You know, if someone has you uh, on the Souven Doppelganger Brine Elemental lock, uh you know, there's there's kind of no sense in playing. Um, but yeah, if it's, I, I, I also like... Trying to extricate myself from tricky situations, um, and we'll look for the for the interesting way out. But yeah, I, and there's certain points like, uh, yeah, I got nothing. Let's you know, let's shuffle up and play another one instead.
0: Yeah, that's more or less the ones that I'm scooping.
1: Right, but yeah. you're, the, the way it sounds like to me. You're not you're not getting the consent of the other players in the game to con- to scoop. You're just you know picking up your own stuff and walking away. Which, uh, yeah, that's that, that seems a little uh, less than gentlemanly.
0: Uh, like I well, no one's perfect, and like I said, it's been so difficult. I was actually I mean, going to say childish, but... <laughs> you're not, you're not wrong. I the president of mind agree.
2: If I'm in a situation where I know there's absolutely nothing I can possibly do to stay in the game and actually have a chance at doing anything relevant, and there's like a group of three people about to shuffle up across the room, I'll probably just go join those three across
1: the room. I might be okay with that, I think. And, uh, you know, certainly, I mean, obviously, if you get an emergency phone call or something, that's a different story. That's not really, I, I mean, if you're just, if you're being spiteful or, um, infantile, like, then that like, that like
4: fellas, my that. wife is giving birth. I don't care. Sit right. down and finish this game. <laughs> well, one of the, there's
1: a, there's this, there's this great kid, um, named Aaron that, um, that we occasionally play with at the shop. And, uh, the first time I ever played with him were like, it was like an, like a Thursday afternoon. It was early a Thursday on a Thursday afternoon. And, uh, you know, we're just kind of in the middle of a dirtily game and his phone rings and he has a brief conversation and puts his phone away and he's like, sorry fellas, I gotta go. And I said, you know the only way that this is acceptable is if that's a booty call. And he said, well then I guess it's going to be acceptable.
0: <laughs> okay, uh, well, at the very least, Sheldon, if I ever get a chance to meet you IRL and we do play, you will—I promise you—I will not be scooping till the very end. Woodham mm-hmm. yeah. oh,
4: is guaranteeing he will do scoop you the moment he gets a chance. <laughs> First time Sheldon swings at him, Wooden's kind like, ha ha, scoop.
0: All right. So, getting back to the league itself, kind of wrap things up. Do you feel like you would? this was something that you could only be able to do, do with this year's or even last year's products. Because I seem to remember the original Commander product and even the 2013 ones being kind of less than spectacular.
3: I don't know.
1: I, I think they've were. I think they all been fine. Uh, yeah. The mono-colored ones might have been... Um,
0: a little harder to actually do this system with?
1: Yeah. Maybe a little monotonous. The, the three-color ones certainly would have been fun. Uh, I've actually thought about suggesting when we get to the you know, when we've played 30 games or so with these and we're starting to get tired of them, that maybe we try it out. That actually, was, think, the,
0: that actually was the other question, was how long you guys tend to do this. And you see this going for only about 30-ish games? Uh,
1: yeah, well, I mean, it's it's going to go... I, I'll tell you the, the, the thing that's that we've kind of artificially put a limit on is um, this semester in school, um, that it's a, a... Again, these this these players who are also, you know, big commander players are my Monday night gaming group. And because of the demands of school and being in, you know, being in a graduate program, I don't have the time to run my Monday night RPG. And um, once the semester's over at the end of April and we've moved into our new house that we're building with the 800 square foot um, game room from hell, then we'll go back to RPGing on Monday nights and we'll probably go back to playing sort of normal commander on Thursdays and at you know at that point I think the the league will have will have played enough games to get what we wanted out of the league and move back to sort of normal EDHing as it were
0: do you see yourself returning to this league possibly next year with the next year's precons
1: i i, I think it's yeah i i yes is, is is a firm answer to that if if not before if we don't Pick up the original three color decks, or if we don't pick up the two the two color decks, uh, the other two color decks, and do something with them. Um, I I certainly see us at least giving it a whirl when the next um, when the next precons come out.
0: All right. So Calvin, Clay, did either of you have anything you wanted to add into this?
4: Uh, currently, no. nope. I've gotten pretty much everything I would like to get out of this. This sounds extremely interesting as a format and alteration to EDH. If I had a playgroup of five, I would definitely give it a try. But since my playgroup currently maxes out somewhere between three to four on a, on regular, uh it'll probably be something I have to put towards the side, maybe come up with another alteration to the rules or something just to kinda stretch things up.
1: Yeah, I mm. I, I think you have to um I I think you, you have to have the right group for it. Yeah. I don't know right. if I'd
3: be
2: able to convince my friends here at school to do it this way, but it might be a cool thing to like ask around at the shop to see if anyone right yeah yeah I, it's not
1: it's not it, it doesn't seem like something that could happen in a broader group than the five um but yeah you could gather the right the right other four players
0: no and it definitely is I actually did something very similar with the original 2013 decks we were doing it with a money challenge we could only add like t- ten or so dollars within a given time frame. So it was actually very cool to see a lot of the budget stuff that got brought in to kind of replace a lot of the chaff that some that was frustrating us. Like mm-hmm. I was so happy to be with the Divine Spirit, and it gave me so many cool things to look at from you know just from a monetary perspective. Oh, Cyclonic like, well, is only like a dollar or two at this point in time. That's really cool. Yeah, I,
1: I'm 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 looking at this list, and it doesn't look like that anybody's picked any particularly expensive cards. No, Ulamog. I mean, I back to back picked both Ulamogs. Possession, yeah, I mean, New Gideon, of course, well, of course, with the, with the, um, Oath of the Gate Watch free roll, uh, Michael picked Blinky the Eldrazi. <laughs> but yeah, th- th- it's, it, there's, it's remarkably, yeah, looking, looking at all the, um, at all the updates, it's remarkably a bunch of inexpensive cards.
0: Alright, and on that, we're gonna go ahead and end the segment here. Next up, we're going to go into our strategy segment, where we're going to go ahead and t- look at some of the things that the recent rules changes are going to change about how we play ED units. Stay tuned, everyone. We'll be right back. All right.
4: And now it's time for a CommanderCast public service announcement. Hello, listeners. Are you walking the streets? <laughs> Prepare yourself. Be careful out there. Black ice is everywhere. Black ice can usually be found chilling on the corners. Black ice will make you bust your ass. Black ice will take you down. So, if you're not careful and not being around, keep an eye out. If you see black ice, cross the streets, or go the other way.
2: I thought you were going to do something silly like, uh, are you wandering the streets? Don't worry, I am too.
4: <laughs> no, see, the thing here is, is that I just basically consider black ice to be probably one of the most racist things I've ever heard in my life. You know, I understand. <laughs> like, oh, you better watch yourself, there's a bunch of black guys out there.
0: Like, hey! <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I, I see it now. So, yeah, that's about as family friendly as the show gets. <laughs> our strategy segment today, we've got the man himself on and He's part of the rules committee that came up with these three new changes that go into effect for EDH. So we're going to go ahead and look at these one at a time and talk about, you know, just kind of how this changes up how you play. And the first one I'm going to go ahead and cover is probably the small one of the version, because this is the one that's going to be more easily overrode by house rules than anything else. It's the fact that we're using the Vancouver Mulligan now, you know, just for any standard commander events or anything like that as opposed to the partial Paris that most of the playgroups, or at least most of the playgroups I've been in, have been using. So Sheldon, when I was going over the art, the original statement that you guys put out for this, it was statistically, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Irrelevant. Yes. Inconsequential. Yep. There just wasn't a big enough difference to say, yeah, partial Paris is doing so much more better, let's just go ahead and go with the law of the land. Could you talk about that a little
1: bit? Yeah, um, so, during the discussion, um, you know, I, I admitted that that I don't know as much about the math as of people, uh, but it seems to me that there's not there's not that much difference in Parsh um, Paris getting you a playable hand than um, than Vancouver. Uh, and Parsh Paris is obviously a lot more abusable. So uh, Toby and Gavin, who are both. Um, much smarter maths people. I mean, you know, uh, Gavin's got a PhD in some sort of physics and, uh, uh, things.
0: Wait, D. Gavin?
1: Gavin Duggan, yeah. Wow. Not,
0: yeah. They're not going yeah, he have a PhD in physics or
1: something. Yeah. Um, now, I'm not talking about Gavin Verhey, who's a, um, he used to work for Wizards. I'm talking about Gavin Duggan, who's the original rules com- committee member. Ah. Uh-huh. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, Gavin and Toby both independently wrote scripts that simulated card, uh, simulated, um, hand draws and run and ran a couple of hundred thousands of simulations. And yeah, the, the difference in getting a, getting a playable hand by turn five was negligible between the two, like getting, you know, Hmm. making sure that you hit all three colors or, and or, um, Getting enough, you know, having five, four lands by turn five, or whatever the criteria was that that we agreed on, that was okay. That seems playable. Hmm.
0: Interesting. Yeah, they,
1: I mean, they ran, yeah, they 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 ran simulations and um, like yeah, there there might you know there might be a three percent difference in uh you know what we're whatever it is that we're calling playability.
0: So. Do you the the rules committee ever feel at all that the partial the partial Paris is great for helping to to make games a little more playable since it means that people can go ahead and keep the lands that they have, pitch some other stuff, some more expensive stuff that they don't intend to play, hopefully draw into more lands or early play spells to kind of help flow with what they want to do in the early game. Was there ever a point where it felt like the partial Paris was more of a crutch than anything else? I don't, I don't, I don't know if we ever felt that way.
1: I, we just, we were just aware of its abusability. Um, that a lot of people, and you know, we listened to how people were talking about things. We didn't, you know, we don't just operate in a vacuum. Um, we listened to how, not just what people say, but how they're talking about things. And it seemed like the partial Paris was not just open to, but frequently used for abuse of, uh, digging for the combo piece. Uh, or digging for the, you know, the exact explosive opening hand.
3: Mm.
0: Hmm. Alright, so there's not a whole lot else to say about the Vancouver Mulligan, other than if the numbers are th- there, numbers usually don't lie. So usually.
1: I, I would argue that, that numbers themselves are incapable of lying.
0: Numbers, can, they can be deceiving, though.
1: Yes, they can. Th- statistics, statistics, uh, um, Okay.
0: statistics be damned?
1: No. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a little older than most folks, and I grew up in perhaps uh, a less enlightened time. But I remember being a Little League baseball player, and my coach telling me that I quoted him some statistic. And he said, you know, statistics are like a cheap woman. Once you get them down, you can do anything you want with them.
0: <laughs> that was your Little League coach?
1: That was my Little League coach. Like I said.
2: <laughs> we Well...
1: We live in a less... We, I grew up in a less enlightened time.
0: <laughs> okay, that... I'm going to get some angry emails about that, I'm sure. But, okay, but carry on. We're
1: going to get some positive emails
4: about that, I'm sure.
0: <laughs> I... I... Okay, I've been completely derailed. What was I just talking about? Uh, statistics, something... Come on, come on, find the turn, find the train, find the train. Uh Clay, cover for me. Um... Okay, so we'll just go ahead and move on to the next part, then, because... I don't know where the hell that train went. Congratulations, you just blew it to Mars. <laughs> so, going on to the rule number four, as it was called, the idea that any color that you were making outside of your color identity would just instantly become colorless. This is actually something that I had come up with when, you know, just kind of looking at rules and thinking, okay, what's kind of exchange? What could Commander get by without? When the Tuck rule changed. And... I have to wonder, was this brought about mostly because of the new colorless mechanic that came out about with oh gate Watch, uh, Gatewatch? Uh, or were there other driving factors here?
1: It's it's a thing that we've talked been talking about on and off for three or four years, as Ooh. a matter of fact. Um perhaps perhaps as long as I, I'm I'm trying to search back in my memory when it was that I was still in the I was still an active judge. So obviously, prior to the end of 2011, I think maybe even um, late 2010 or early 2011, I was out at WOTC and we had a meeting where we talked about color identity. Because um, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure what has become color identity was actually Nat Tabak's idea, hmm. and it ca- it probably came up. It probably came the, the creation of colored mana probably came up then. Although I don't specifically remember it, it, it seems like the kind of thing that might have gotten thrown into the conversation. So at least, at least for three or four years, the, the idea of, um, co- you know, the limitations on colored mana generation have gotten floated around in one term or, uh, you know, in, in one form or another. We've never really talked seriously about changing them, um, although, uh, it's been up and down in our internal conversations. The colorless thing in oath of you know sort of colorlessness matters in oath of gatewatch gave us the opportunity to to go back into uh, thinking about um, the rule itself and what it does and you know I, we would have been okay with colorless mana being easier to create in commander than in other formats that wasn't that wasn't really a driving factor the colorless colorlessness of about the of gatewatch um, just you know sort of reignited the conversation. Uh, but, uh, and, you know, as we talk about it in our announcement, it's like, is it really, is it really that relevant? When does it come up? And, uh, you know, it just so happened that Toby happened to be visiting me in, uh, December. And, you know, knowing we we're having a meeting coming up, we spent a fair amount of our time talking about, uh, you know, rules committee stuff. And I was really sort of resistant to the, to the idea of getting rid of the rule because I'm like, you know, one of my things is that copy clone is an overrepresented strategy. And I'd hate to see a, an overrepresented strategy get even stronger. And his response was, you might want to really think about that. How many activated abilities of cards that get stolen or cloned or copied are color, have a colored activation cost and aren't blue already? And I went through my entire suite of decks. And the answer was zero. Really? Yes. I'm like, huh, ain't that a thing? <laughs> um, so, I, yeah, I was like, you know, if that was if that was what I was really, you know, the last thing that I was holding on to, maybe I need to re- re- reevaluate this. And as we talked about it, we realized how little it would actually change. It's I mean, we we love the idea of the flavor. Um, We love the idea of it being sort of one of the. Defining characteristics of the format, uh, but as long as we have the color identity rules, I think the mana generation rule um, is an acceptable sacrifice to simplicity. Um, it doesn't, uh, yeah. I mean, the, the the number of times that it actually matters are so, uh, you know. Toby said in our discussions, like it's like mana burn. You know, it, it doesn't really matter.
0: Yeah, and the situations and, where it does come up are either so corner case. That they don't show that often, or they do end up making some uniquely cool stories to tell.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it, it really um, was was far more corner Casey than I ever thought it would be.
0: Right, we're talking like I actually have that deck, the Rexiel wants to touch all your things deck, where there's like a lot of clones, there's a lot of looking through your deck and stealing stuff, and that was part of the reason why I thought it would be such a cool rule to actually cut because then lets stuff like the Praetor's Grass actually grab some stuff. It encourages me... Makes send Triples a little stronger. Makes send Triples a little stronger. And it actually creates an, some interesting deck-building options. Like, I've always gone with, you know, just kind of the standard guild art- guild rocks, we like to call them, like the signets and mm-hmm. the Key Runes and the clue stones and all that. But it actually gives me more incentive to play with more stuff like Coalition Relic or Dark Sealing. Because it helps activate those off-color abilities or cast those off-color spells. Like, I actually use Praetor's Grass to grasp to grab a naturalize or a frozen grip and actually right. cast it.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm not, I'm not so sure that those decks aren't already playing coalition relic and um dark stealing it.
0: Depends on how much money you have to get those kind of cards, and also just the availability of said cards to begin with. Like I have a million dark stealing, but I only have one relic. So yeah, okay. But you do have to take those deck building options into consideration now. I think that's actually a really cool step. Every, uh, one of my friends actually put it this way: everything that you have to worry about with the game is taken care of before you sit down. Once you sit down, it's just the magic.
1: Right. Yeah, and that, that was part of the
0: argument. So Calvin, did you have anything you want to say or ask Shelley about this? Calvin's probably in a situation where you can't unmute at the time. Clay, did you have anything you wanted to add? <laughs> again. Um.
4: Oh, yup. I mean, aside from... Uh, which favor. one are we talking about?
0: I'm uh, talking about rule four, the one about the mana. Damn it, Kelvin. Um, okay,
3: so <laughs> the individual <laughs> would have brought up the idea...
0: Of, uh, He's interrupting you now. <sighs> uh, the
4: individual would have brought up the idea of rule four and the lifting of it. I would love to take out for a beer or potentially hug and or kiss. Well,
1: Not particularly then, in that order. Then you're going you're gonna to need some chapstick because a lot of people have talked about it.
4: No, I mean, like on the rules committee, the ones who made, like, you know, because I understand it's probably a unanimous decision, but I owe all of them a beer. Okay, and they, okay, a beer, kiss, but <laughs> not in that order.
0: Okay. All right. Next um, time, there's a GP in New Jersey.
1: I'm, um, I'm, I'm a, I'm a fan. I'm, I'm a fan of the Belgian uh, Abbey beers. So.
0: Okay. So, Clay, yes. Uh, I
2: guess kind of like Manaburn. Aside from, uh, I mean, Manaburn did have functionality, but aside from flavor there really wasn't that much of a reason for the rule to exist in the first place. So, like, seeing that it's gone, it doesn't change anything about the way most like, 99% of decks play. Right. And it's just like, yeah, this aside from clearing up confusion over whether I can use a dark if I'm in a, like, green-red and I have an endbringer and I tap my dark steel and get for black can I use that to pay for colorless mana? Like, this honestly doesn't change anything. It just makes it easier for other
0: cards to work. Uh, so, and, th- and there are some yeah. people out there who thought that Urborg actually just lets you make black in a model green deck, and they just never had a reason to do it. Yeah. I was actually talking to my boss, and he was like, oh, I thought that's how it always was. <laughs> it's intuitive. Yes. Matt, ever since, like, I want to say the Tuck rule, a lot of things about you know, have just become a lot more streamlined and become more intuitive. And yeah actually makes me really happy I haven't had try, had to try and teach newer players about commander
2: yeah it's just like for ninety nine percent of decks this doesn't change anything but the decks that do want to produce off color mana more power to them
1: yeah i I mean you know okay if we make sunburst triplets gets <laughs> yeah sunburst <laughs> gets better um constellation gets no, no, that's no that's sunburst converge uh, converge uh gets better uh Sen triplets gets better uh praetor's grasp gets a little better but your, I mean, your creator's grasping... Your you're, you're, you're creator's grasping somebody's small ring anyway, so... <laughs>
0: well, no, that's what Thada Adele's for. Uh, right. Speaking um, of
2: other cards that should be less... Dun,
0: dun, dun, Thada oh. Adele? <laughs> <laughs> really? I mean, some if people just don't... You know the one. I mean, some people just don't like it when you grab all their rings.
2: Man, I'm... A- <sighs> I need to build a Sada Adele deck now that just steals Sol Rings and alter her to be Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> I
0: you need w- to do that now. You wouldn't be the first. <laughs> Alright, so, rule four, it's gone. Everyone's all the happier for it. This is probably the bigger one. In fact, there were, in fact, people on our Facebook page commenting about how the card was so powerful it broke the forum. Prophet of Crufex getting the Banhammer. So... This was something that a lot of people said were actually really happy with because they are just either so tired of seeing the card or so tired of dealing with the decks that had the card. The, I believe in the official statement, it was said that, you know, there, we were seeing a lot more of a push in blue-green decks because people wanted to play the Prophet of Crew Decks rather than wanting to play, like, say, other mm-hmm. decks for the sake of playing other decks. Mm-hmm. So, how did that come about? What was it? Just, you know, people giving you feedback about, hey, I don't like this card, this card needs to be banned, or were you actually able to get those thousands of dollars together to hire us a data agency?
1: Yeah, no, there was no data agency hires. Um, <laughs> we really need to start a GoFundMe <laughs> um, The it, Profit Acrufix ended up being sort of um, a, a requirements creep. Uh, the The initial excitement about how cool the card was Started slowly turning to how frustrating and annoying the card was, and at, you know I'm I'm not sure exactly where the the tipping point was, but there was a there was a point where all that excitement turned to to rage.
0: I want to say it was at the point where it was facing across from you, and you weren't the one playing it.
1: Yeah, uh, but at least initially it was. Oh, that's kind of cool. Oh, oh, he's gonna play another creature. Isn't that great? Oh, and then he's gonna play another guy, and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrath him away. Anyway, right? Yeah, you know, there was, but then, yeah. But then know, whoops, my, they had the counterspell. Yeah, I, right. Well, they, whoops, they had the Mystic Snake and uh,
0: yeah, um, that. The Journeywell.
2: Yeah. The, uh, the point for me was probably the summer after Theros came out, and one of our friends had a Momir Vig deck. And it was just like play Momir Vig, go find Prophet of Krufix, go find Krufix, go find everything. It's just like right. He resolves Prophet, and then by his next turn, he kills everyone. In the crater.
1: Yeah, but that's not. I, I, I like, don't. But think, that, that is. I, I don't think you I, can. La- I don't think you can lay that at the feet of Prophet of Cruifix. No, but the reason the that it lay- snowballed so quickly
2: is because he was able to flash in all his creatures and untap his stuff every turn. Like the turning point for Prophet of Krufix for me was seeing just how much more insane that deck became because that one card was in it.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you. I, the, the insanity of that is the constant tutoring.
2: Well, yes, but the, the the speed comes from the fact that Prophet gives you flash and untaps your stuff. Like, I would be much less, I guess, aggressive in my feeling if it was he had to find Seedborn Muse and find Yeva, which would still take him two turns.
1: And you As opposed cast, to playing stuff. a single five mana creature. Right, and right, and you can't and you can't cast draining well with Gaea.
0: Right, the, <laughs> like I'm actually, I think I'm with you on this one, Sheldon. Where the Prophet is not a busted card in and of itself, but it's a really powerful enabler.
3: Yeah, it's it's a it's a pretty
1: it's a pretty it's it's yeah it's it's the it's part of an abusive relationship for sure. It's the context. Make so yeah and and the fact that it's stapled together on like you said on one card uh, makes it more problematic you know if somebody's if somebody if somebody plays seaborn muse and or orre buena fortuna um, but yeah having it having it on one card then makes it a little trickier and again it was a, it was the sort of shifting tide of um, of the community's emotions toward the card that got us Starting to notice it, um, you know. We, we watched, you know, a year ago or more when people were talking about it. And we're like, oh, okay, let's 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 pay a little attention to this. Um, you know, I can see that it might be, but you know, we we want to hope that players can take cards and play them responsibly. And uh, we would rather, quite honestly, we'd rather wait and have something um, bad for the format in the format you know, one cycle too long then cut something that didn't need to be cut one cycle too soon. you
0: got to really make sure that it's earned its reputation. Right. Like, I've had playing experiences where I've played a Prophet and then I've put down creatures the next turn and then just, you know, the untapping was completely incidental in- in- because I've already dropped all the creatures I had. At that point, It you might be getting some activations off of it, you might be holding up some more mana, but once you're out of stuff you actually want to play, the Prophet isn't nearly as bad. And you're talking about, you know, players playing cards responsibly. You know, we had a bunch of stuff that came off the ban list before Profit had a chance to go on. We had, like, Metalworker come off, Staff of Donation come off. And those were cards that were really powerful and are still really incredibly busted in the, in the right context. But I don't see them abused nearly as often or as much as something like the Profit was. Which is interesting considering that, you know, Profit's like a multicolored, two-colored uh, card that can only be played in so many decks. And you could build, you know, any number of colored artifact decks to see a metal worker. Which, we still see it, but we don't see it to the level that we see the profit.
2: To be fair, blue and green, I think, are the two most popular in the format. And and the question is, how much of that popularity is attributed to Profit or Fix?
1: Uh, I don't know, blue and green are pretty good without even considering profit.
2: Yeah, but over the past two years... Well,
1: I mean, <laughs> you can't you can't consider them over the, the last one thing years here though because profit exists. But, but the one thing about
4: this you have to remember here Clayus, is, is that even without profit of um fix, blue and green are still the two colors with the most cards on the banned list, which means that even if profit hadn't come into existence, blue and green would is probably still the most popular or most broken color combination that could occur in EDH. Yeah, not i not necessarily saying it is, but you know when, you know, you don't see that many Boros cards hit in the ban list anytime soon. And <laughs> <laughs> there saying. was Worldfire. Yeah, but still, like, what? That's, like, how many red cards are currently on the ban list? Like, what, three, I think?
0: Oh, I'm going to take a, a quick look. So, let's see, we have Wildfire. Worldfire, uh,
4: The Coalition, that's a red card. It's oh. not, it's multicolored, it's but it's still it's got red in it. Right yeah, it. yeah, it's multicolored, <laughs> but, you know, if you want to count, like, red symbols in the, in the group, does that, that, and...
1: I think, yeah, I think World park is the only
3: mono. Yeah, actually, I think, it is.
4: I think, I think, the, I think that's it. Yeah, World. no. But then, you know, if, you start, if we started adding up the blue mana symbols and the green mana symbols, we'd be here for hours. <laughs>
0: I mean, at the very least, we'd be here for 20 minutes. Until Calvin interrupts me and I have to count them all over because I lose my concentration.
4: So, uh, the one thing I would want to lead off of a point that William did make, with the previous, uh, rules updates, not the latest one, but before, we've had cards coming off. And in the recent one, we haven't had any that came off as Profit went on. So my question would be for Sheldon and potentially, you know, the rules committee, if they are so inclined to answer in one way or the other. Is there a specific set of, um, is there a specific number of how many cards you would want on the ban list? Or is it just kind of like just as it goes?
3: Because no, I would say
4: like if the band list, I, you know, like, I would to see like if like the band list, I got to a point where there's like 50 cards on it. Then it might be like a need to change something else around. Whereas, like you know, if it stays at like you know the twenty mark, we can still kind of like like this these twenty cards aren't here. And if something else shows up, then you know yeah, we've got now, to, have to debate whether or not it's worth bringing back. Well,
1: part, I mean, part part of our part of our discussion is we don't want to get into the cascading bans that that um, would lead to two hundred cards getting banned. You know, if this, then that. Is a, a really dangerous road to go down. Uh, so we don't want the band list to be unmanageable, but there's not a specific number at, at which we determine that it's it will be unmanageable. Um, currently, I, I think there's thirty-three or thirty-four cards on it. Um, that seems eminently reasonable. Uh, I wouldn't. I certainly wouldn't want there to be too many cards. But if if you know in the in the next set they release ten different versions of Grizzlebrand. Well, guess what? The the ban list is grown by ten cards, <laughs> right? It, so so cards are cards are definitely judged on their own merit. Um, and while we don't want the while we don't want the the ban list to get too unwieldy, um, we're not going to not ban a card that's toxic to the format just for the sake of keeping the list down.
0: All right.
3: So, so they, yeah. Now that we've
1: hit all these points,
4: is there anything else that we need to discuss as far as the recent bannings?
0: As far as the recent bannings, no. I did want to ask Sheldon what the uh, response to the change in the Tuck rule was since last year. Because um, in my area, it's been almost entirely positive. I know one or two people who actually do miss the old Tuck rule, but for the most part, it seems like everyone loves it. Uh,
1: I, Not you know, me. I, I love that game. <laughs> I really, um, I quite honestly haven't seen. Anything locally other than a positive response, uh, recently, uh, I, you know, occasionally on the forums, someone will, will throw a barb about, you know, oh, just like they did with Tuck. But other than that, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that, uh, people realize that, um, in the trim, it's been a net positive for the format. So, uh, you know, maybe next time we make a controversial decision, they'll trust that we have some idea that we're, we're doing the right thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, the the doom and gloom that the Tuck, the, the anti-Tuck change people were predicting certainly hasn't come about.
0: I mean, this is only like, what, the 40th time that magic's dying, so... Yeah. That would be the maybe or
3: 40, 100.
0: Sure. Well, no, because uh, the way they changed slivers was the 39th. Oh. No, see, oh, yeah,
4: no, see Mark, the thing slivers. is, like, there's, but there's a few thousands that are still occurring below the surface that you refuse to acknowledge. Mm-hmm. Oh? Yes, there are a few thousand other, like, attempts to kill things. Because apparently Mark Worldswater is trying to kill it every other weekend, at least. (laughs) So, you know, I'm pretty sure there's been several undocumented attempts. Undocumented attempted murders of magic. But that's neither here nor there.
0: No, it's not. So, that does it for our strategy segment. No technology segment today. Instead, we are going to go straight to our outstakes. I I do still want to know why Panoptic was, like, what specifically was it? It
1: it, cre- it creates it creates toxic game states.
0: Mm, I'm gonna need a little bit more of a description of that. Um, is is it more like someone just imprints a removal spell and then now? Yeah. It, oh, oh Rafa God every turn, yay. Oh, okay. Or, okay. So it's more or, oppressive or, yeah, than anything else.
1: Or yeah. Or or yeah. Any time magic. Um. Yeah. The, there there are a million sins for Mirror. We. Actually, locally, and oh god, it's been three or four years now, I think, that we locally a- ask players to, you know, sort of there's a there's a um, there's a trusted circle of about 15 players that come to the shop that we sometimes test stuff out with. Like, okay, and and most of the time it's add this card to your deck without making any other changes and see what happens. Just just jam Protean Hulk into an existing deck. And give me your impressions. And every time we've done that, it's been, oh my God, don't unban the card. Uh we did it with Panoptic Mirror, we did it with Prodigan Hulk. Um, and you know, even the people who were playing it were like, Yeah, this is, I, I I under I get this now. Um, don't you don't want to unban this.
0: Okay. I do have to say Paraser would be just stupid with Sphinx's tools right now. Yeah, I mean well, it's oh says non land. Um, no it say non No, it says all cards. Oh, too Oh, right, the, that's the, right.
1: It's a uh, grindstone. Yeah, it's grindstone. Okay, okay. grindstone's the problem. Yeah, and and honestly, if like you know, I had to remove one card from the ban list, or you were gonna kill this puppy, um, I, I would remind you that we don't negotiate with terrorists. <laughs> I
3: know. <laughs>
0: This has been Commander, guys, episode 234. I want to go ahead and thank everyone for showing up today. Sheldon, thanks for coming on today.
1: It was my distinct pleasure.
0: It's always great to talk with you. So It's always great to be here. Calvin, thanks for coming on today. Uh,
4: no problem. It's been good to get a chance to hear your yearly plea to jump onto the Rose Committee, and it's been fun to get a chance to talk with Sheldon once again.
0: Great. Thanks for being here, buddy. Yeah, no
2: problem. It's always cool to be able to talk to the person who basically uh, invented the format. So,
4: without him, without him, there would basically be no Commander
1: Cast right now. There would. We'd, we'd, this would be um this would be modern Cast. We'd be busy so talking be, about that. So, the, so what you're telling me is I should be expecting a royalty check at some point.
0: Uh, we, we have, have
1: the, a whole zero dollars, zero cents.
0: We have the uh,
3: two percent no, no, of the wait. Patreon, right?
4: That, I, I was just about to say, like, wait a second. No, we do actually get cash of some sort now because of the Patreon. Damn it, William. <laughs>
0: We'll see what we- maybe we can send them a t-shirt. So, if you guys want a message here at Commandcast, be sure to check us out on the Facebook page. You can also tweet us at Commandcast or email us at commandcast at gmail.com. You can leave us a review on iTunes, Illuvia, of any of the 5-star reviews on air. We currently don't have any as of yet. Come on guys, where are those 5-star reviews? But, you know what? If you like what we do but you don't want to just leave us a review, consider supporting us on Patreon. Some of you are donating already, even though that we are in tip mode, and I am so happy about that. But now I am actually producing content that you guys are gonna get ahead of time and it feels good to just kind of be giving something back to you for the support that you're giving back to me for something that I've been putting out there for you. So it's the circle of life. Let's just keep giving to each other, it's gonna turn into a really amazing thing. Big thanks to everyone. If you
4: are and if you don't, you know, feel as though you want to hit the five dollar tier, you can always just go ahead and give us the tip. And just a tip And if a little extra does happen To slip in every now and again We won't complain Shut up, Navi <laughs> I am trying to tell these people To give us the tip And you are just interrupting me. I'm going to kill you one day
0: One day, but not today Thanks to everyone here at Cast. You guys are just fantastic people I love working with you And I do care about you guys Music for our show is the x meets Heavy Metal Series by 331 e We'll see you next week With more community, strategy, and technology Until then, let's get it!
4: So, let me ask the question here, William. Yes? Are you not going to ask Sheldon to give his contact information?
0: God damn it! I knew I could do something. I'm so sorry. So, Sheldon, if people want to reach you, how can you do that?
1: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Sheldon Mennery. Uh You can find me on Facebook. My name is also my name. And you can find me every Thursday on StarCityGames.com, writing my co- column about Commander. Uh, if you really need to email me, you can at firstname.lastname at gmail. Uh, and I will see you someplace online
0: alright and hopefully with some editing magic that will all be nice and smooth I'm sorry alright
1: uh, question for you, then,
4: you are you not going to ask Clay for his contact information
0: did I miss that
2: <laughs> <laughs> you missed both of us son of them. A-
4: okay so Clay your contact information
2: um, if people want to contact me um, they can find me on the Twitter and Reddit and Gmail as EDH Panda. Uh, my girlfriend and I occasionally stream on Twitch as Panda Alpaca. It's down in the show notes. You can follow us on Twitter for when we go live. Um, hopefully, at some point, we can get back into the swing of that. It's been a while. I'll say that.
4: All right. And now here's where I'm going to say my contact information. So, anyone Sir out there who Calvin's wants
2: contact
3: information here.
4: Mm-hmm. So, if anyone out there wants to find or locate the captain, it's pretty simple to do. All you have to do is go over to Twitter, hit me up there, at Captain Redzone, or you can hit me up with an email, in Gmail, at CaptainRedzone at gmail.com, or you can over to, go over to the Commander Cast Facebook page. I'm over there, William's over there, Wafflecomb's over there, Clay now is an admin, and occasionally will be over there once he decides he wants to check it out if he feels in the mood. I, I'm doing I, what I, I can I, to convince I, Mark to join Facebook so I can get him over there. I, I see the, but, you know, that's. Under
2: your page is on the side that says Commander Cast, and I see the, uh, the post reach and the people engaged stuff like that. Yeah. Isn't you a, it
4: kind of awesome? Just to see yeah. all the different people and all the various things that come up? I'll take that to snow. Okay?
0: Thanks to everyone here at Commander Cast. You guys are just fantastic people. I love working with you, and I do care about you guys. Music for our show is the x meets Heavy Metal Series by 331 e We'll see you next week with more community, strategy, and technology. Until then, let's get it!
2: Vancouver now does have world domination of the Mulligan rules. Um, I...
1: It didn't before.
2: Uh, aside from EDH. Yeah.
0: <laughs> right, come on. Why is my Google sparring so up? Um, Google hates you.
1: Because you touched yourself and God is angry.
0: But Deadpool told me to. That's how you check for cancer. Right, so how have things been down in? Let's see. Florida, right? Florida. Yeah. So how's the commander scene been looking down there?
1: Um. Well, I haven't played much. Um, I didn't play much last since um, end of August, beginning of September because of school. Uh, played a little bit over Christmas break, um, and they were still we were still getting really nice turnouts for Thursday night uh, at Armada. Um, and now the only thing I'm doing this once the semester started back up again is playing on Monday night, playing the league on Monday nights.
0: Uh, let's see. I remember you talking about your about going back to college the first time we had you on. How close mm-hmm. are you to your degree now? Uh,
1: which degree? Um, <laughs> um I, this is my this is my last semester as an undergraduate, and it's also my second semester as a graduate student.
0: Okay, so how many degrees are you working on right now? Just the two? Two. Yeah. Which ones are they?
1: Um, a master's and a, a bachelor's and a master's in English literature and literary criticism.
0: Okay. Do you have anything in particular that you want to use those for? Yep. Oh,
1: then you want me to tell you what it is? Oh, please um, do. I,
0: as, <laughs> as someone who actually wanted to go into English literature for his major, that's actually something I want to know about, because I can never really figure out what I would use them for.
1: Well, I started, I, I started in creative writing and moved over to literary criticism because it occurred to me and some very smart people suggested uh, that studying great literature would probably make me a better creative writer than studying the craft of creative writing. Hmm. Studying the studying the craft of creative writing um, can help you be a better teacher of creative writing, mm-hmm. but I'm not I'm I'm I think there's a point of diminishing returns where it helps you be a better writer.
0: No, yeah. To understand good writing you have to see what good writing looks like.
1: Right. So uh, last spring. Otherwise you'd be stuck writing Twilight and stuff. Nobody wants to I'm not Last spring, I, in, the, in the English department at University of South Florida, there are three different tracks you can take. You, have the, you major in English, but then you specialize in either creative writing, uh, literary studies, or um, technical writing and rhetoric, I think the third one is. Um, and last spring, uh, I asked some good advi- advice from both um, my wife and two of my friends who are professors there. Uh, I switched to the to the literary criticism track. Then immediately got an invitation to join the accelerated bachelor's degree into master's degree program, where um, my senior year of undergrad I take all graduate courses in my area of concentration. So I basically am a senior and a first year graduate student at the same time.
0: Okay, so you're looking into writing. What sort of things are you looking into writing?
1: Uh, I am going to write the next the next great fantasy epic, uh, and it's going to be so epic that my fans are going to wonder if I'm going to live long enough to finish it.
0: <laughs> I mean, kind I don't... Of like
2: how uh, George R.R. R. Martin, or whatever his name is, uh, Well, might, George... uh, well Martin the, just keeps The missing... final plot twist is that he's going to off himself before he finishes the series so that no one knows how the series ends.
0: I mean, he's already doing a good job of it because Martin keeps missing his deadlines. Yeah. Well, he, I,
1: I, he already knows how the series... Yeah. I mean, I think he he writes, he writes pretty organically, but, uh, he has, a, he has an arc involved. As a matter of fact, he said, he's, he's going to finish the series of a song of ice and fire. But if he were to finish, if he were to finish writing in the world altogether, that the last scene would just be, um, windswept snow across the graveyard.
0: Huh? See, I think about how because much everybody would be dead. Yes. Yeah, That's actually, yes, that is the point. Uh, I keep thinking about how much I want to write in the stuff I'm trying to work on. And for me, that's just kind of a challenge because I have problems focusing. I've got the ADHD problem where I can't sit in that chair for more than two hours at a time. And then I see, like, do you realize how much Brandon Sanderson puts out? It's mind boggling.
1: Yeah, I actually know him. And, um, the, the, the pace at which he works is kind of frightening. Um, the only, the only guy that I've seen that I think just pumped out more work and it was nowhere near the quality of Sanderson's, uh, was Piers Anthony. And he would write, I mean, he would write four or five novels a year. Uh, but the Xanth, I mean, the Xanth novels kind of wrote themselves after a while. Uh, but yeah, Sanderson, Sanderson is just, is really amazing. And if you're interested in, if you're interested in being a student of the craft at all, he puts, some of his lectures because he he teaches at BYU Ooh. and 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 he puts he puts some of his lectures online.
0: Ooh, I actually do want to see those. I haven't read any of his original works yet just because I know if I get into a series like that, it's gonna be one of those things where all my Audible subscriptions are used for are those, and I don't know if I want to dedicate like the next three four years just listening to Sanderson books as awesome as they are. Right. I I did read the last the Memory of Light trilogy that he finished mm-hmm. for a Real time though, and that was amazing.
1: Yeah, the 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 only series of his I've gotten I've gotten all the way through yet is the Mistborn one, Um and uh it was actually uh, Brian David Marshall that that um, recommended it to me. <laughs> and I, I you know I got I was I don't know four or five chapters in, and I'm like I know why BDM loves this. These guys aren't. This isn't a fantasy story. This is a superhero story. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh god! And the fact that Sanderson is interconnecting all of his books somehow. Yep. Well, it, it's a it's a it's
1: a world. Well, I guess not a world view. It's a universe view. Um, there are 16, 16 separate. I want to call them spheres. I, I I'm 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 searching back what I read about them. But yeah, I mean they're they're the all the all the Sanderson worlds are of a of a single universe.
0: Oh yeah, I actually just love huge crossover stories like that. Just there's so many books. I mean, it didn't scare me off on Wheel of Time, but Sanderson's got like what four or five times that many now. Oh uh,
1: no, I mean Wheel of Time is 14 or 15 books, um, and he's got he's got three or four. Series, so I mean, he might have as many as Wheel of Time, but uh, yeah, I don't think he has quite. Okay,
0: for yeah. some reason, for some reason, I thought he had written at least 30 of them by now.
1: mm I don't think he's written that many. Okay. He's relatively young, he's barely 40.
0: I, I, at some point I'm gonna to have to get over the fact that me being only 24, 25 and not having written anything is not a deterrent.
1: You're not sure how old you are?
0: I actually forget how old I am. But okay. But, now the- That's the, whole... the, AD, AD, the ADD kicking in.
1: Yeah, that's you know, um...
4: doesn't have time to pay attention to his age.
0: <laughs> Calvin, are you on your way home?
4: I'm outside, as per usual. All right. You hear that truck? Mm -hmm.
3: (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Trucks. (laughs) Big old
4: SUVs, speeding taxis, ambulances, buses. Ambulances? Yep. All of the background noise of which Calvin has constantly flowing through his phone.
0: (laughs) All right. All right. Then let's go ahead and get this started. I will need 10 seconds of audio silence.
4: A question for you, Will. Yes, sir. Before we go too much further. What made you start doing this weird 10 seconds of audio silence all of a sudden?
0: Oh, uh, vague internet traffic, uh, sounding things?
4: Yep. Because you have, but the thing
1: is, I don't remember you ever really doing this before.
0: I didn't really have a reason to do it before.
1: There's so many good cards in Magic that it's not like we have to pick a shitty card. To, oops, this is a family show. It's not like we have to pick a terrible card, um, uh, if we don't get the card we want.
0: Given that Calvin is. What, it's perfectly of, fine. Yeah. You could have
4: you could have just said shitty. I would have left it in. No one's going to complain. Happy. In Get fact, sh- I, I will take out the fact that you said that part and put it in the dangly bits. Yeah, okay.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. So, we'll be going to the strategy segment now, and that actually was a very nicely done, done segment. I have a friend who... Was suggesting something similar with you know a bit more a a leeway for like uh, adding five or so cards and I just wish I had the money kind of get into that because and it sounded like a great thing to do with the Daxos deck. But moving onwards,
4: what Warren's really saying is he wished that the rest of the Commander castles were as. well-spoken and sophisticated as um, Sheldon is, so that way all of our shows could sound less if, you know, just actually something of importance and relevance on them, aside from the occasional <laughs> jokes that we end up cracking about penises and butts
0: Aww. and boobs. Calvin, you make it sound like I don't think you're an eloquent speaker. All right, so. uh, uh
1: But let, let's assume there was a situation where I had to remove a card from the ban list. Painter's Servant might be the least unsafe. Hmm. It would be. I, it I like
2: Painter it, Servant as a card. It, it would makes so for interesting interactions with other things. Mm-hmm. Like, I think if I were in in a world where I could like change the ban list, mostly just because I want to play with Painter Servant, but I don't want people to be complete assholes with it, mm-hmm. I would probably unban Painter Servant, but ban Grindstone and Iona, just okay. because Painter Iona makes it so no one gets to play magic, right? And, and Grindstone yeah. is just a really
3: yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, I, I mean, but it's a creature, so. so creatures die pretty quickly. But yeah, I mean, yeah. Just, there's no. It, like I said, it, it's <laughs> not that, not that I think it would be good for the format, but it would be the least bad of all yeah. the other cards.
0: Yeah. Oh, that answers my questions. All right, so
4: if we sent you a Commander Cast T-shirt, Sheldon, would you wear it? Sure. <laughs> oh man, now we gotta get
0: Sheldon the t T-shirt. Thanks, Cal. Now we, got, I mean,
1: now I get we death gotta get a Now, shirt. I mean. The co- the, the, that's a simple answer to your question, but I'll I'll tell you that I don't wear T-shirts outside the house. Really? Gotcha. I, I, yeah, I don't go out of the house without a shirt with a collar on it.
0: Okay, so. Sheldon has officially... So you always look classy okay. when you so, go out wine drinking and so,
2: tweet five billion things about what wine you're drinking. So,
0: so, um, so,
4: what, so what Sheldon is really saying is, is that we have to get collared Commander Cat shirts. Yeah, you think so. Like, polo,
1: <laughs> a, a polo Commander Cat yeah. shirt.
2: Or, or what, if if a, a shirt. what if we got, like, a nice jacket?
1: Yeah, that's a horse of a different color, but you gotta remember, I live in Florida. It's not too often that I wear a jacket. Yeah, that's, why, that,
4: that, that, that's why I'm going, that's why I'm going with the polo shirt. He's a judge. Yeah, the winner. I know, he,
1: the winner, I know he'll go perfectly fine. Calvin has the winner there. It's, it's the polo shirt.
0: <laughs> okay, so, Sheldon's officially too classy for, for, my, my my head, I can't even wrap my head around how much class he has. Wow. The tangent about the shirt just completely threw me off.
1: I, I mean, could... I wear a lot of t-shirts. I just wear them in the house.
0: Right. As opposed to Mark Rosewater, who wears nothing but t-shirts.
1: Right.
3: So we, what
4: you're saying is we got to get a Commander Cash t-shirt on Mark Rosewater.
0: No. Yes. The real guy that we need to get it on is Ken Nagel. He's the commander guy in R&D.
1: But does Ken Nagel wear t-shirts outside? Uh, I think Ken Nagel is the type of person who wears a t-shirt to a nice restaurant.
0: Ooh, my kind of guy. Alright. So, Sean, once again, thanks for having you on. It's always great having you on, and, you know, I actually do learn a lot whenever you're on, so thank you for that.
3: Yeah, my pleasure being here.
4: And now that our outro stuff is done, is there anything you guys want you to do for the dangly bits?
0: Uh, let's see. So, I am actually working on finishing the upload for the first string of videos I made for the Alpha Project. The Alpha Build, actually. That's the name that Stark came up with.
3: So, alpha So,
0: what is the Alpha? So the, okay, so, you know how guys like BDM have, you know, like the one deck that they love, and they play nothing but that one deck? Like, we have, like, we all have like, uh, like seven-something-plus decks. Like, I've got 27 decks. Calvin's got, like, 23 to 25, I'm sure. You've got, like, almost 12, I want to say.
2: I have a fair number.
0: Yeah, like, we all have some not two-digit number of command decks. But there's always that one guy who only has one deck. And that's the only deck he plays, because it does everything that he wants. Or maybe he doesn't really want the money commitment. He just has that one deck, and he spends his whole time refining and tuning that one deck. Because he plays it so often, he knows exactly what that one deck needs. I always thought that was really cool to get that in depth with a single commander deck, but of course I can't really do that because I have 27 different decks. I'm gonna show all these decks up some love, and I don't get to play commander as often as I used to. So a couple of years ago, I started thinking, well, what would I have to do to really, you know, refine and tune something? What if I could just, you know, go back to Alpha? What if I went back to Alpha and I made commander a thing there? And I just started playing commander, kind of like Mark's commander '96 thing that he's, been, that he's been trying out. Only, yeah, what Commander if,
4: 95.
0: Yeah, Commander 95. Only what if I took the Commander I'm playing now, went back to Alpha, made a deck for them there with just Alpha cards, and then added in cards one set at a time. <laughs> Not only would you get to see the evolution of a deck, you get to see the history of Magic through those colors, and you get to find a lot of really cool tech that kind of just get lost to the angel- ages. Like, when I was looking at cards lost for Alpha... Angels. Like, when I was looking through cards that were in Alpha for the Avacyn deck, I realized that Helm of Chadzook actually just makes Avacyn really stupid good. So Helm of Chadzook is this artifact that says pay one attached. Target creature gains banding. And so when you have banding, you're the, and you block as a band, you're the one who decides how your opponent's creatures deal damage. So you just have all the damage dealt to one creature that Avacyn gives protection from that source. Hmm. And it's basically a free kill on anything as long as Avacyn's out there to protect it. It's
2: each creature with banding and up to one creature without, right? Yes. So if you have another big thing, just be like, well.
0: Yep, it could even just be Addison herself. Like, she does have five power. And, if you, yeah. and you can give the banding to anything with Helen Chatsuk. So it could be something big, it could be something with Death Touch, but it doesn't matter.
4: Okay. So William's basically saying is he he's currently working on learning the intricate rules of how banding works and then trying to do the best that he can to get to level 3 so that he can have a chance to get on the rules committee because he's probably one of like 20 people that know how banding works.
0: My only problem is that hel- my only problem after coming up with the initial draft list is that there were some cards from Alpha that just never got printed in like masses Edition stuff for online. So I don't get to play Helm of Chatsuk in the online version. But there is Banalish Hero, and Banalish Hero has banding. <laughs> There's also a... Veteran card, I can't remember what exactly it's called, but any time that, you know, unblocks creatures deal damage to you, all the damage is dealt to him instead. So normally, Avison is like a pay 7 to prevent all the damage from a single color to you, but if he's out, then you just have to pay the 2, because all the damage would be dealt to him, and then you can prevent that damage. So there's a lot of really cool tech there.
2: Huh.
0: It's weird, but it's really cool.
2: It's like pariah.
0: You could. And like, that's a lot of the cool stuff that I'm going to discover as I go through these decks. Like, I already posted the, uh, the project introduction video onto the CommanderCast channel. I'm going to make a post for it, I want to say, tomorrow, since I don't think the SquireCast guy is going to be on. Because so, I, I talked to Matt, and he said that it's partly because he has a new job that's like an hour, hour and a half commute. Mm-hmm. So he is going to get back to uh, making uh, episodes and stuff like that soon. He just needed to get a handle on this new job thing.
4: Just needs to find a better time during a week to be able to do his recording.
0: Yeah, that's more or less it.